You're listening to Brother Scott, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on January 30, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. You take your Bible, please. Turn with me to the book of Luke to welcome those who are listening on the internet. Hopefully our pastor's listening or watching or will be later when they put it on. Luke chapter 12. Some of you are probably wondering about me. I wonder about some people. I wonder about me sometimes. I want you to know I love everybody and I, normal times, I'd love to shake everybody's hand, give everybody a hug. But the, and if you want to, I will. I, if I were you, I would not want to shake my hand. I work at the hospital. I work in the emergency room. I'm a housekeeper. I have 30 rooms full almost every, all 30 rooms are full almost every night. So there's 60 rooms in the emergency room there in Winchester. I'm gonna spare you a lot of details. You don't wanna know. I don't wanna know. I just, I try not to, I'm glad, I'm, a lot of times I'm glad I can't see. I'm, I really, I, without my glasses, I, I, it's a blur. And, uh, and a lot of times I'm so thankful I have that mask on. Believe me, I, it's the truth. It's the truth, I really am. There's some things I don't wanna smell. That in mind, you know, ha, have you been exposed to COVID? Yep, probably about 15 times a night. Have you been exposed to all kinds of wonderful things that I don't even, so um, I go home and I scrub and I, sh- you know, shower, make sure that I c- The truth is, that's why I'm not as generous with my, greetings as I normally would be. I just want you to know that. I'm not like, don't like to shake people's hand, don't like to talk to people, but um, I don't want to get anybody sick. And some of the stuff I'm exposed to, if you get it, you might be a goner. I get all the shots. I'm just like, oh, you got another shot? Go ahead, give me, I ain't got one in this arm yet. Just, just give me whatever you got. And so I was in the military. That's how it worked in the military. I hope, I, honestly, you know, we, we, can, we can do politics with another subject, right? Let's pick another subject to be political about. We can do that all day long. I vote the same way y'all do. But um, I hope everybody get their shot, really. I really hope everybody will get their vaccine. It's just, you can save us a lot of trouble in the emergency room. I mean, that's half our... Half Half our trouble is that uh, we're filled up from people that, I remember one in particular, his brother is one of the housekeepers there and he was dying upstairs. And he said, mom, if I get better, I'm gonna get that shot. It's just heartbreaking to me. So there's your ad for today. I know you needed another one, right? Cause you don't get any of that on TV or nothing. I know, but I work in it. Every day I work uh, five days a week. I work the third shift from 11 o'clock at night until 7.30 in the morning. I worked last night. I'm going to try not to fall asleep while I'm preaching. Do my best. I'm just kidding. I, I don't think that'll happen. I remember back in the old days, or, or I've heard tell, I think I've been in a church or two where, where they actually had those long poles and they would take the offering. You ever see that? Have you ever been, have you ever been in a church? Anyway, ever been to a church where they come down? It's kind of neat the way they do that. I couldn't be the usher. I would put somebody's eye out. I'm, it, it's the truth. That, that, that mop all night long, I'm banging on stuff. It would not be safe. But I understand in certain kind of churches, they would have a deacon. This is a true story. His job would be to keep people awake while the preacher was preaching. And that's the truth. Yeah. Good, yeah. And uh, he actually had a long pole. You look this up. This is the truth. He had a long pole. On one end, he had a feather. And on the other hand, he had a, it was like a, a little ball, a little wooden ball. <laughs> and uh, he would 
you know, just nicely, I hope, and kindly keep people awake. So the feather, you know, if he saw somebody nodding off a little bit, and so one day there was this, this guy, I guess, he fell asleep, and so they would reach out, he would uh, tickle him, just kind of wake him up, be real nice about it. And just Anyway, there was this man on the third row one time, and, and the deacon tickled him with the feather, and it, he didn't move. He might have just, like, put his head the other way and snored or something. And uh, the deacon, he's trying to be nice. He gave him another tickle, didn't do anything. And so he turned it over, and he popped him on top of the head with that, with that wooden ball. And he fell down onto the floor. And the deacon, feeling bad, he walked up to him. He said, excuse me, are you okay? I'm sorry, are you all right? He said, yeah, but I can still hear him. You better hit me again. I can still hear him. <laughs> and uh, by the time I get done this morning, you may be saying, hit me again. I can still hear him. All right, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and beginning in verse number 10. I want to speak to you this morning about the rich fool. Luke chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 10. Jesus is speaking here. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Long, there's, a, there's a lot of debate and discussion about what that means exactly. I have three different opinions, and I'm not sure which one to choose. But what we do know, if you don't believe the Holy Spirit, there's nothing left for you. There's nothing else. If you don't believe his word that he spoke, you don't believe it and you won't believe him, there's nothing else. It's like there's not somebody else coming along. Who else is coming? That's it. There won't be any forgiveness for you. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Ghost will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Then one from the crowd said to him, so here he is. This is the, this is the creator of the universe. There could be no greater wisdom. He's speaking. He's teaching. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, I'm sympathetic with the guy. I mean, he may have had a real problem, and that was what was on his mind. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life, well, I guess that tells us. Jesus was reading his heart, and he tells us the man was covetous. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, so we know this is a parable. Sometimes we're like, is that a parable? Is it not a parable? Well, he tells us. He spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? I should read this differently. Let me start at 17 again. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build, I will build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, his soul didn't belong to him. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for yourself for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, then whose will those things be which you have provided? The Lord says, kind of like mocking him. So is he, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. Maybe underline that in your Bible if you're in the habit of doing that. Rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, 
What you will put on, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? God in the flesh was preaching a sermon when this chapter began. Uh, but there was a man there who wasn't interested in spiritual lessons. Jesus was teaching here. He couldn't even hear Jesus because all he could think of was his inheritance. He wanted what was coming to him. Uh, he didn't want his brother to have it. He didn't want his brother to have what was his. Jesus said to beware of covetousness. Socialism is built on covetousness. Socialism or redistribution of wealth can never make anyone wealthy, except for the politicians. Right. But it can keep others from having what you don't have. Socialism says, I don't care if everyone in the world is poor as long as no one has more than me. And in communism, no one will except for the politicians. They'll have everything. Covetousness wants whatever anyone else has and is never satisfied with what God has given. Jesus gave this parable to warn against covetousness. He said a man's life, or a woman, a boy or a girl, you understand that's the generic for man, a, a person. A man's life, your life consists not in the abundance of things that you possess. What you have is not what you are. Do you understand that? Including your body, it's not what you are. Uh, what you really are is what you are in the eyes of God. That's what your life really is. Uh, three words come to mind as I read this passage this morning. Number one, failure. The word failure. But this is an unusual kind of failure that we find here. It's the failure of success. Most people don't fail because they fail. A lot of people do, but probably most people don't fail because they fail. Most people fail by succeeding at that which doesn't really matter. That doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't have any value. This is the saddest kind of failure. It's the failure of success. You should go to the website of the Guinness. Now, now while I'm preaching, please, but uh, crazy how things have changed, isn't it? The technology and everything, it's amazing. But uh, go, to the, go to the Guinness Book of World Records website, and you'll see what people dedicated their lives to. Charlotte Lee has the world record for the largest collection of rubber duckies. Uh, at least it was when I studied. It might have, you know, somebody might have broke that record by now. But uh, she had 5,631 different rubber duckies. None of them were the same. It took her 15 years and thousands of dollars to amass the collection. She succeeded in her dream of setting a world record. Isn't that wonderful? She, I mean, imagine. I don't know Charlotte. I don't want to be unkind, you know. Maybe she had other things in her life that were really important and good. I hope so. Uh, but can you imagine standing before God to be judged and saying, this is what I did with the life that you lent me? This is what I thought was important? I suspect that Charlotte has failed by succeeding in that which doesn't really matter. Donald Gorsk of Wisconsin set a world record in 2008. Now, it may have been broken again by even the same man or others, but in 2008, he had eaten his 23,000th Big Mac. I don't even know how you survive. <laughs> I don't know how you survive that, but he dedicated 37 years of his life to this project, more than one a day. It's amazing to me that someone could, could be alive after that, but that's what this man decided to dedicate his life to, and he succeeded. He's in the book. 
But doesn't that make him a failure, honestly? I mean, Nick Vermillion of the Netherlands has collected 6,016 airline sick bags. <laughs> now, being my job, I, I don't get it, but uh, uh, from 1,142 different airlines, from more than 160 different countries. Way to go, Nick, right? He's been working on his hoard since the 70s. Wow. One woman has set the record for having over 4,000 piercings in her body. It took her 10 years to accomplish that. She's in the book as the world record holder. What an accomplishment. Now, again, I don't know any of these people. It's just my observation from afar. That's what we're supposed to do, right? That's why it's on there. We're supposed to look at it and make some kind of judgment, I guess. Uh, these people have all failed by succeeding at that which doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. Many people fail by succeeding. The man who came to Jesus wanted nothing more than to get all the stuff that he could. Here's the Lord of glory standing before him, and what does he ask? Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Jesus uses this for this opportunity. So I, again, I, I don't know the man, but uh, Jesus says, let me tell you about someone who devoted his life to collecting all the stuff he could, and he succeeded. I mean, he had to tear down his barns. Imagine that. Imagine if he had to tear down the bank because it couldn't hold all your money. But by succeeding at that which didn't matter, he lost his eternal soul. Jesus pointed out that it was the ground that God made that brought forth for him. He says the ground that God made. God gave the man the ability to work, the knowledge to work, the ground to work. But all he could think of was himself. I count at least 10 times in four verses that this man said either I or my. Verse 19 sums up the man's spiritual uh, pursuit in life. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine, eat, take, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He was a great success. I mean, who wouldn't have thought? We probably know the man in our day, a different man just like him. Who wouldn't think that he's a great success? He got everything he was after. Everything he planted grew, bumper crop, everything he invested, everything paid off. He accomplished what he set out to do in life. But the very night he set the record, all of his rubber duckies were taken away. There are many lessons to be taken from this parable, but one of the most important is this. Don't be a failure by succeeding at that which doesn't matter in life. Don't be a failure by succeeding in that which doesn't matter in life. Think, I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a personal relationship with you, and he can speak to your heart about those things. And... Um, what are you putting your efforts to? What are you putting your heart, what are you setting your heart on? Who are some people who fail by succeeding today? There are those who live for pleasure. They make their life's goal to have all the stuff they can accumulate. Every year, they have to have a bigger TV, a newer car, a bigger boat, a better vacation, a bigger bank account. And many have the means to accomplish all of it, and they do. Uh, folks always believe that the next thing will give them the happiness they're looking for, right? I mean, and I find that in my own life. God has answered so many. I was talking to my wife this morning about all the blessings, things that it was like, oh, Lord, selling our house in Arizona right as COVID was hitting. We didn't know the housing market was going up. Everything I ever knew about economics, I thought it was going to crash with right the last day as they were getting ready to shut everything down. 
We sold our house. God answered our prayers more than we thought we were going to get. I mean, God just, and then the next thing, and then a job here. And then we were looking for a house here for a long time. Prices are sky high. I didn't think we could get anything. And I didn't have the two years that you need at, at a job. My wife did. I didn't think we were going to be able to get it. We're praying and praying and praying. We're in our house now. We're, in a, we're, we're exactly where we're supposed to be. God's blessed us. God answers our prayer. We always think that the next if we don't have the right perspective, if we're not praising God for things, we think the next thing is going to be what makes us happy. And then as soon as we get it, we've forgotten about it and we're on to the next thing. Nothing is going to bring you that happiness you're looking for. That's not out there. Um, you think it is. The devil tells us it is. Our flesh tells us it is, but it's not. They get everything they want and fail by succeeding. Their life is completely wasted. What about dads who spend so much time at work? Not for the necessities, not because they have to, just to pay the bills, but for luxuries. They end up sacrificing their family on the altar of materialism. The world says they're successful. They climbed the corporate ladder, but their success became failure. What they worked for all their lives wasn't worth having after all. I'll tell you who else fails by succeeding. This may sound a little strange, but the married couple who bases their marriage on the children is doomed to fail. They got married because they loved one another. They made a covenant with the Lord. But when children came along, they based everything on them. They forgot about their marriage. They lived to please the children, raised the children. In the process, they grew apart. And when they did, they neglected their relationship with the Lord. They stayed together because of the children. But when the kids were gone, that's over, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's nothing left. They wanted to give the kids everything, focus everything on them. They succeeded in the process. They failed. My kids know that mom's here to stay and they're just visiting until they go to college or in the military. If I ever have to choose between mom and them, they, they don't have a chance. They know that. There's no point in even trying. She's my bride for life. What's your pursuit in life? What are you after? When you finally get it, will it be worth having? Be careful. Be so careful about that. People spend so much time and effort and money and years trying to get things. And when they get them in their hands and they look back and see all that they gave up to get it, <laughs> all they want is what they gave up. And it's too late. Be careful. So what's your pursuit in life? What are you after? When you finally get it, will it be worth having? Having? Will you be ashamed when you stand before the Lord to admit that you spent so much of the life that he lent you seeking whatever it is that you're seeking? The first word here is failure. The second word I think of is future. The future of sinners. We're all sinners. Generally, when we say that, we're talking about unsaved folks. God called the man a fool because he thought only of this life. That's all there was to him was this life. Get all you can. Uh, he gave all the thought in the world to his body, but never stopped to think about his soul. How many of us do that? No matter where we are in, in this life, we need to remember the future, not just the future here, but the future there. Hebrews 9.27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, and yes, God already, you already have an appointment. It's already on God's calendar. You say, how could that be? What if I go on a diet or what if I start eating better and exercising or stop smoking or whatever? What if I, what if I get hit by a bus? Well, God knows what you're going to do. God's already appointed a time when you're going to come and you're going to meet him. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. We must live now in the light of then. We should never do anything now without thinking about then. 
And when I say then, I'm not necessarily even talking about the future. I'm talking about the spiritual, the spiritual world. Not necessarily talking about a time. Talking about uh, Jesus being Lord over us. Every one of us is going to be judged by God. Most people don't believe that. Even Christian people don't really believe that they're going to be judged. When my TI and basic training said, I'm coming back. When I come back, I'm going to judge your work. Uh, and you're going to answer for what you do. Guess what I did? I stayed up all night, uh, made, even when we weren't supposed to. You uh, figure out a way. You put the blanket over the window so they don't see the flashlight. Whatever you got to do, you got to get that done. Why? He's coming back. Guess what? I believed him. Why did I stay up all night? Uh, because I believed him when he said that he was going to come back and judge me. I believed him. And that was, that was a wise thing to do. So I got ready. If you believe, you'll get ready. Most people, even Christian people, never spend any time getting ready for the judgment seat of Christ because they don't believe what God said. You know, people have got, there are a lot of better definitions, a lot of better descriptions and sermons on faith. But I'll tell you what it is. Faith is when something becomes real to you. I mean, I, that's not a definition. I didn't get this from seminary. I mean, look. Faith is when something becomes real to you. You believe it and it's, you factor it into your decisions and your, the way you live your life and everything because it's real. Doctor says you have nine months to live. He shows you a picture. There's a cancer. You can believe him or not. Probably will. I believe him. I got nine months to live. Guess what? Everything changes right now, right? Why? Because I believe him. I believe him. Uh, that's faith. When something becomes real to you, that's faith. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all, uh, talking about Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, again, his, her, boy or girl, according to that he or she hath done, whether it be good or bad. You're going to receive what's been done in your body. You're going to receive uh, whether it be good or bad. Now, that's not talking about morally good or bad. That's not what it's talking about. It's like batteries. That uh, It's a battery. Um, it's not evil, but it ain't no good for nothing because it hasn't got no charge on it, so you throw it away. That's bad. That's what it's talking about here. Good is, it's a guy, it has value. It's good for something. Uh, you're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ if you're a Christian based upon whether your efforts in this life were good for anything, whether they were had any, any real eternal purpose, whether you did them for anything other than your own pleasure and uh, your own moment in life, whether, whether it be good or bad, whether it has value or not. If you did it, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's true. I've never heard a truer statement that wasn't in the Bible. I'm sure it's, you know, you can find a verse that says that very, very thing. Uh, verse 20 uh, says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. He, call, he says thy soul. There's a little bit of mocking going on here. Uh, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? <laughs> he was very careful about his stuff, but he gave no attention to his soul. Matthew 16, 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? People are so, so silly. So silly. The things of this world, and they have no, no real value. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Are you living now in light of then? This life is an opportunity to prepare to meet God. 
even though we have met God, even though we meet God every day, every day I've met God, speak to God, commune with God, worship God. I've met God. I meet God. I'm going to meet God. Right? All of it's true. Something about it. We're going to, we're going to stand at this judgment. It's going to be something amazing. Think about the failure of success and the future of sinners. And finally, think about faith. Verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's, uh, it's not a bad thing to work hard and save. I've said, told my children, I've preached it, told anybody who would listen, uh, I can tell you how to get rich. It's true. It's, it's, it's very simple. It's a simple principles of God. What is it? Uh, you spend less than you make over a lifetime. It's true. Spend less than you make over a lifetime, and then whatever's left over, after you've been generous and everything that you ought to do, uh, invest it wisely, spend less. I can tell you how to be poor too. Spend more than you make over a lifetime and you'll be poor. It really is. Is it? That's how it works. It's very simple. It's not a bad thing to work hard and save, but it demonstrates a lack of faith when we're richer in this world's goods than we are towards God. The only reason anyone would ever store up treasure in heaven is faith. You can't see it. You can't hold it. The only way uh, you know it's there is because you believe the promises of God. Let me just read you a passage from Luke 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, Jesus says, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more, Jesus says, will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Jesus is saying, don't let the world get you. Don't let the desires of this life capture you. Make sure your roots are deep in the soil of heaven and not in the soil of earth. Go over and read that passage from Hebrews. Faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Don't they say he was like 75 years old? I think it's something like this, 70. Man, can you imagine? God... God calls us to do things. He puts things on our hearts, gives us opportunities. Can you imagine if God told you to sell everything and pack it up and put it on a U-Haul and I'll, then I'll tell you where you're going? I mean, that's, that's amazing. He went out and he, did, he didn't even tell him then where he was going. He just started driving. He just got on the nearest interstate and headed west and the Lord directed him from there. He didn't know where he was going. That's faith. What? God was real to him. God was real to him. What God said to him, 
God was real to him. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So he lived in tents instead of building a city. Why? He was waiting for God to build him a city. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable, as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith. It was real to them, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. How? By faith. It was real. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Two more verses. Truly, if they had called to mind the country which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I can hear them singing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I can't think of anyone more different as I'm preparing here to close. Uh, I appreciate the pastor's messages. He says some things. I've been, I, I pastored for, I guess, close to 20 years. He's able to say some things that nobody else could ever get away with. Pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I like it. It's neat the way he does that. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, I, like, I, I like the way that he's brief. I'm going to try to uh, be brief here if, if it's not too late. I can't think of anyone more different from the rich fool in our story today than William Borden. When William Borden, the heir of the multi-million dollar Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from high school, his gift was the same as I'm going to give to Josiah when he graduates. A, a trip around the world. <laughs> just kidding. Just kid. But no, he did. William Borden got a trip around the world when he graduated from high school. While your average 18-year-old is going to be living it up and enjoying the time of their life as they're traveling around the world, all expenses paid, Borden experienced a growing concern for the loss of the Middle East and Asia. He wrote home, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. He turned his back on his family's riches. And in the back of his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. Enrolling at Yale University, Borden promptly began a student ministry. By the end of his freshman year, he had 150 freshmen meeting. This is at Yale. <laughs> That's the same Yale you're thinking about. Had 150 freshmen meeting for a weekly Bible study and prayer. By his senior year, 1,000 of the 1,300 students were involved in the ministry. Beyond campus, Borden was often seen ministering to the downtrodden in New Haven. He loved the widows and orphans and disabled and to help men who were uh, caught in the destructive lifestyle of alcoholism, he founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of his friends wrote that he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night preaching on the streets or at some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, always seeking to lead him to Christ. After graduation in the class of 1909, Borden declined numerous high-paying job offers because of his call to the mission field, which was now specifically focused on the Muslims in China. At that time, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreat, no reserves, no retreat. 
Borden went on to Princeton Seminary, and after that, he set sail for China. He stopped in Egypt on the way for some Arabic studies, but while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within one month's time, the 25-year-old Borden was dead. It's hard to believe, but at just 25 years of age, his life was over. Just prior to his death, underneath no reserves, no regrets, Borden wrote two more words. I'm sorry, under no reserves, no retreats, he wrote no regrets. He's dying at 25 years of age. He's given his life to prepare for a ministry that's not going to take place, and he had no regrets. Why? Because he'd done it all for the Lord. It, it counted just as much as if he'd lived to 100. Because his heart, all, everything he had was given to the Lord. William Borden had well learned the lesson of our parable today. A couple more verses in closing in Luke chapter 12 there in your passage, verse 30. Luke chapter 12, verse number 30. Jesus is finishing here. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. Think about that. You're a Christian. You have Christ living inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit, in your heart. Do you want to seek the same things that the, the nations of the world seek after? And your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your Father's good pleasure to give. He wants to bless you. Some folks are rich in this world's goods and poor as a street beggar spiritually. Does that describe you? It's not, a, it's not anything to be mad about if, if, I, if the Lord's touching a nerve. Um, we all need to examine ourselves. If we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Let's judge ourselves. Let's humble ourselves. If you humble yourself in the sight of God, He will lift you up. Others have very little here, but are rich towards God. They've believed His promises. He's real. It's all real to them. They've made bank on his promises. They've laid up treasures in heaven by faith. They'll never be sorry they did. What do you think? Never, I, how many, have you ever heard anybody that was sorry they got saved? I never heard anybody. If they did, they weren't saved, right? Never heard anybody sorry they got saved. And it, uh, nobody's ever going to be sorry for anything that they gave to the Lord. Don't be a failure by succeeding at that which isn't worth having. What are you doing with your life? What is your focus on? What are you striving for? Never live now without thinking about then. Remember, the most important thing is to be rich towards God. How do we do that? Uh, we invest in those with His image. We invest those in those that were created in His image. We, uh, we bless and we share and we help and we, and we give. And in that way, we can become rich towards God. Are you... Are you ready to meet the Lord today? You can be.